0: Hi, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, a podcast where culture and entertainment meet. I write about movies here at The Times, and a frequent topic of conversation among my colleagues on the entertainment staff is how tough it is for any of us to just keep up with the relentless wave of content between movies and TV. So this show is about the stuff that we're watching and how we watch it.
1: Where's Jason? Where's Jason?
2: Jason?
0: Jason?
3: Where were you? I didn't know if you were lost. Stick with me, and I'll keep you safe.
0: The much-anticipated follow-up to Jordan Peele's Get Out is out now in theaters. With Us, Peele has made the film he said he wanted to.
2: I'm, I'm to. I'm trying to scare people's pants off.
0: And he succeeds. In the process, Peele has reclaimed the art of the horror genre. On one level, Us is a political film about contemporary America. On another, it's a horror flick with a Black family replacing the conventional white one at its center. We'll get to that conversation in a moment. Later on, we'll hear the rest of my interview from South by Southwest with Ethan Hawke, Logan Marshall-Green, and Jason Blum on their film Adopt a Highway. Hawke opens up and has lots to say on acting, actors turning to directing, film school Steven Spielberg, and following your heart. Let's listen in. To answer the question of our The Tethered, The New Sunken Place, I'm joined by my colleagues Jen Yamato here in the studio. Hello. And on the phone, we have Justin Chang. Hello. And now, maybe one way to start in talking about the film, I recently saw Us when it had its premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival, and Lupita Nyong'o, while she was there in Austin, she was talking quite a bit about how she wanted to be clear to people that... Us is not Get Out and really make a distinction between the two movies. Jen, maybe as a way to sort of get into this, do you want to describe a little bit about what Us is and maybe give us some sense of how it is not Get Out?
4: Sure. Well, Get Out, I think you can think of in terms of a much more intimate, very pointed examination of race in America, whereas... This is another one of Jordan Peele's what he's called social thrillers, the kinds of movies that he says that he is dedicating himself to making as a filmmaker. But Us, in a way, is very similar and yet I think has larger ambitions. It's not just about race, but it could be read in that way. I think the beautiful thing about Us is that it is a much bigger world that he is building It is sort of a spiritual cousin to get out in how it's using genre to get out some very difficult conversations that we frankly don't have in normal cultural conversation.
0: And Justin, I'm going to allow you to do the honors— of trying to just sort of give some brief summary of the movie, and then I should say that we're going to try as much as we can to have this conversation be spoiler-free, although I feel like as we get deeper in the conversation, we might get slightly spoiler-reliable. We're going to try not to because I don't know about the two of you, but I find the movie very difficult to talk about without feeling like you're veering into spoiler territory right away.
4: Yeah, it's super hard not to spoil it after you've seen it, because this is the kind of movie that you want to talk about, and I think that's one of the great things about it. But, Justin, take it away.
3: Yeah, I agree with all of that. There are a lot of questions that are raised, particularly by the ending, but I think by the movie throughout. And all of that is very much to Peele's credit, I think, and the mysteries that he's sort of built into the narrative and into the filmmaking without exceeding, I guess, the boundaries of the trailer. It is about a family. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke play a married couple who are on vacation with their son and daughter. They are going to Santa Cruz. They have a rental home with a beautiful beach nearby and a lake nearby. And we learn that this beach in particular in Santa Cruz carries some significance for the Lupita Nyong'o character. There is a formative experience that she had that is hinted at or disclosed partially in the prologue of the movie. But one night, the first night of their vacation, they are confronted by a family of doppelgangers who look exactly like them. And so it is this very amusingly literal-minded visualization of the idea that we are our own worst enemy. What if you met your worst enemy and, and it, they look just like you? And this family, needless to say, does not have good intention for our main characters.
0: I know. Here's a clip of when that mysterious other family first arrives at their door.
3: Game. I got this. I got this. Now I thought I already done told y'all to get off my property, okay? So if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Now the cops are already on their way.
4: Hey! 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 Hey!
0: Hey! And then one of the things I found most striking about the movie is the fact that, as you just said, Justin, it seems like a very clear idea, even like a simple idea, like you meet your own doppelganger. But then the movie just gets more and more complex as it plays itself through. And was that something that you found exciting about the movie, especially in relation to Get Out, is that Us is so complex, that there are so many layers to what's going on in the movie?
3: I think there is a murkiness to this movie's narrative design. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Since we're kind of speaking about reaction, I think there's going to be different waves of reaction to the film. And the first wave kind of out of South by Southwest and out of the few press screenings that have happened here are very positive so far. But I think there's going to be a a wave of, I think people are going to be disappointed or people are going to find pick a lot of holes in certain elements of the plotting. And that's because to what Jen was saying with Get Out, Get Out had a very clean, concept, I think. Once you wrap your mind around the idea that white liberal racism is the boogeyman of that movie, that everything else kind of just fell into place. Us is after something I think that's much more elusive. And it is about race and it isn't, because I think that the most kind of radical thing about it is just that you are watching a black family and they are the main characters. They are occupying the space that normally would go to a white family in one of these movies. And meanwhile, there is this white family led by Elizabeth Moss, who plays friends of their family, and they are (laughs) treated the way a Black family would normally be treated, which I thought was very funny. And I love the kind of the matter-of-factness of that. The movie is not explicitly about race, but it is very implicitly, I think, redressing something that has been historically unequal in Hollywood and in, in mainstream movies and mainstream horror movies.
0: And from the red carpet at the film's world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival, here's Jordan Peele on his affections for horror. I
2: love, my favorite thing about horror movies is that, like, everyday objects are used as weapons. I just think that's just like a great aesthetic. The scissors have many sort of thematic uh, levels, as does, uh, I, you know, I try with everything, but, you know, they are an object of great duality. And this movie's about the duality of humankind. Um,
3: there is a lot of complexity that's built into it, and that complexity is expressed almost entirely through Lupita Nyongo's performance, which there's a lot going on in this movie, but I think she really is the movie in certain ways. and. She plays this very, very complicated character who, she's a trauma survivor. She is a lost child. She is a very resilient mother and wife and just a very strong person who doesn't express her strength in sort of the normal ways you would expect, but she's hiding something too. So it's really, it's a very complex performance. Lupita Nyong'o is such a great actress and I think who has not really carried a movie in quite the way that she gets the chance to do here and I think she knocks it out of the park. You know how sometimes things line up yeah you know like coincidences since we've been here they've been happening
0: more and more
3: i think i feel
0: like it means like she's getting closer who the mirror girl you don't believe me i i i I do i do i'm i'm processing Okay, I just can't believe you kept all this inside for so long.
4: Yeah, and here in Us, Lupita gives probably two of her career best performances. And they're both so compelling in different haunting ways. Winston Duke playing her husband, Gabe is also quite good and is able to do things that I think people will be excited to see more from him after seeing him as the breakout M'Baku in Black Panther. But this is such a good showcase for all of these actors. And it is meaningful, I think, not just to Jordan Peele, but it will be meaningful to the greater audience to see it's a horror movie that is in many ways following traditions of the genre, but trailblazing in that it is a Black family that you're seeing as a protagonist. And that is something that Jordan Peele has talked about as he talks about the impetus for making us and for writing us. And he also is a really strong voice in this Shudder documentary that's streaming now called Horror Noir about the history of Black horror that is excellent and that our colleagues Tanaya Kelly wrote a really great feature on in the LA Times.
0: And now Jen, you interviewed Jordan Peele for the paper and i know something he's been emphasizing a lot is how he wants this movie to start conversation
2: my favorite thing about uh you know getting to make a movie is getting to see the conversation hear the conversations afterward so what i what i hope happens is that everybody like grabs their friends, says you know what we got to go talk about this we got to dissect this
0: what do you think the conversations he wants the movie to start are
4: Well, I think Jordan Peele has positioned himself in such a good way after Get Out. He said something to the effect of after the success of Get Out, I knew that people were listening and people would listen and receive a very layered film like Us in a way that does lead to lots of conversations. He told me when I interviewed him, Lupita and Winston together that he thought Us as more than just a political movie, but one that came out of a post-Trump America where he said that he noticed a lot of finger pointing on a variety of topics and a variety of conflicts, political and social and otherwise in America, in which people seem to be increasingly unable to look inward at their part of a conversation. or or a debate. He said, the feeling that we all feel that we are the good guy in our own story prevents us from facing our own demons. And as oblique as that sounds in the context of a movie like Us, once you've seen Us, it is, to me, what is most compelling about about the story and what makes you want to see it again.
0: Justin, how do you feel about the aspect of the movie, the central theme that the real monster is Us?
3: I think that Jordan Peele has left it so open to interpretation and there are varying degrees of you know political implications you could draw from that, that maybe it runs the risk of being a little too vague. I mean, who exactly is he implicating here? Maybe that damns us and maybe it lets us all off the hook. I don't know. What I like about this movie is much more of a horror movie than Get Out was. Get Out built very slowly to this climax, of, which was balls to the wall, kind of all out, full bore horror. But this one is almost like that not quite from beginning to end, but for much of the midsection. It's so viscerally affecting that in a way you do sort of put your mind on hold for a little bit. And I think that he's become actually a more confident director, even just in between these two films. I think that his control of horror technique is he's just trying more things. He's kind of leaned into that in a way that I don't think he needed to with Get Out, because with Get Out it was all more of a conceptual
4: sort of force. And us also has so many really beautifully composed I think you see more, as you say, directorial flourish in Us, where he is expanding the cinematic space and really taking his time and putting a lot of design into even just an overhead shot of a family of four walking across the beach. Visually, I think it's stunning. And you mentioned, Justin, about Jordan Peele really having this command of horror on display, more so in Us, I think is going to be evident when this generation of young kids— who sneaks into this R-rated movie this year, are forever traumatized by some of the images that they're going to see in this film. In the way that I was traumatized by the scary movies that I saw way too young in such a delicious way, I think it's going to really impact a lot of people who are on the younger side who see us.
0: But now, Jen, when Get Out was coming out, it was this sort of ongoing debate of, is Get Out a horror film? Yes, it's a horror film. And there's already been this somewhat of a conversation I've heard Us referred to as a thriller. Jordan Peele already in sort of like a callback to a previous joke has already on Twitter declared that Us is a horror film. It's a horror
4: film and not a comedy.
0: Why is that a conversation that, for whatever reason, his movies in particular seem to engender this question?
4: Well, I think it's entirely to do, first of all, with the idea of prestige horror versus what horror as a genre has had to endure in the mainstream mm-hmm. arena, it's had its ups and downs in in terms of being respectable as we saw Get Out make it all the way to the Oscars very deservedly. So you're seeing this resurgence of mainstream and studio sort of types who are now reconsidering horror as a respectable genre. And I think Jordan Peele declaring that Us is horror is in a way, as you say, like a humorous nod to when certain awards groups could not decide what to do with Get Out. But it's also sort of a beautiful reclamation of this genre and the power that it can and has had many times in the past to be a really powerful medium of storytelling. I, for one, as a horror fan, am proud to say that Us is a horror movie and to see it do so well— There are a lot of people who are like, I can't handle scary movies or whatever. Well, I hope they go see it and I hope they're scared out of their minds.
0: But also one of the things I think is so exciting about us, and this was true of Get Out as well, is it really is such an audience movie. It's a movie that really does benefit in this moment of the streaming era. I feel like Jordan Peele, he is proof of why seeing a movie with an audience matters. Justin, do you find that the scares work better, the fact that it feels more thought provoking, that you kind of have that edge of your seat silence that sometimes the whole theater gets wrapped up in? Do you find that Jordan Peele, for whatever reason, is making these movies the benefit from being seen in a theater with an audience?
3: Yeah. Horror has historically done very well and consistently as a force of the box office because people to go to the theater and they want to be scared together and they want to laugh the same places and they want to scream and throw their popcorn and all these things. I had a great experience watching this movie with a press industry audience. I almost perversely want to try the opposite experience and see it by myself or with just a few other people and see if it has nearly the same effect. The movie is very funny. I think Jordan Peele's making movies that really do straddle many different genres. And Us is absolutely a horror film It has this hilarious tonal balance, I think, between horror and hilarity that he hits again and again. And maybe it doesn't always work at times. I mean, the Winston Duke character is almost completely a comic figure in some ways. You can almost see maybe in certain parts where he is being leaned on maybe too much to correct the balance or to bring a little bit of levity to this otherwise very unrelentingly tense movie. But I think that that is something that is very key for Jordan Peele who, of course, with Key and Peele, established himself as great sketch comedians who presented a vision of America that was very, very funny and also very horrifying. So I think that, in a way, he has really stayed true to that part of himself.
4: That clip we played of Winston Duke as Gabe trying his best to alpha male fend off these mysterious strangers at the top of their driveway, Lupita said that it was one of the funniest scenes to shoot. Winston said it was funny because he was getting comedic direction from Jordan Peele and Jordan said that it was kind of like the us moment that was like making a Key and Peele sketch and so it's a really beautiful example of how Peele's neck for humor really amplifies the horrific moments as well in us but I think you also see the humor in Jordan Peele's kind of sensibility in his choices. Like the choice to have I Got Five on it is great. It's a great Bay Area shout out in the beginning that then comes back in a very ominous way in a different version that is used so well. But you hear some other musical selections that in the film that add this very winking, humorous and effective undercurrent to some truly horrific moments.
0: Well, considering that in the movie, coincidences are something that are spoken about quite often, it seems only appropriate that the movie itself has, like, generated these extra textual coincidences. Like, the coincidences are real.
4: Yeah, I mean, the idea that Us is coming out so soon after the Michael Jackson documentary, Leaving Neverland. oh my gosh. And the presence of Michael Jackson is is a reference that is unintentionally so resonant in this context in us is totally unplanned.
0: As we talk about sort of like audiences and response to the movie, it's interesting to see the way in which the movie is being positioned as it's like making its way into the world and Universal Pictures that's putting out the movie kind of did this unusual move, what they called the hashtag #UsFirst campaign that as the movie was having its world premiere in Austin, there were sort of simultaneous time zones permitting screenings happening in New York, Los Angeles and Atlanta in which it was specifically designed so that people of color and maybe marginalized critics would have a chance to see the movie and just sort of like open up the conversation around the movie as it was getting out of the gates. Jen, can you talk a little bit about that campaign and does that strike you as something that's new coming from a studio?
4: It's kind of unprecedented in this way. And it was, I thought, frankly, a really beautiful thing for Jordan Peele and Universal to do. They had this very high profile world premiere screening at South by Southwest Film Festival, which did really well. And simultaneously, they scheduled three different screenings in three different cities for primarily black press. And I thought that was a beautiful thing to do to sort of not just start the conversation embracing and inviting in a community that is underserved, a community within the press, and to have Black voices as part of that first conversation is a really meaningful gesture to make that I think other filmmakers and other studios could take cues from. But Jordan Peele specifically told me that it was really important for him to do that. I was at the first screening of Get Out at Sundance, and it was a huge success with a primarily white audience. It would have been really cool to see more diverse voices start the conversation around Get Out. But I think it's a, a really meaningful thing that Jordan Peele made this happen for this film. And Justin,
0: I want to be sure that we sort of touch on a little bit more just some of the themes of the movie. At the premiere at South by Southwest, Jordan Peele, he specifically said that this movie is about this country. And I know that he's, you know, been talking about the inspiration for writing this was sort of like trying to get a sense of what it is to be a part of a post-Trump America. And how do you feel about what some of those themes are? And is there any fear of it being almost like too on the nose when you start to give it that kind of a reading?
3: I mean, I mentioned this in in my review, but have others caught on to this idea that us is U.S. (laughs) also? I mean, that just going out on a limb or if it's really obvious or something in between. But that was kind of what jumped out at me, because starting in that movie at the very beginning, there's a reference to the 1986 Hands Across America campaign, which, and again, not to give away too much about that, but this idea of thousands and thousands of people joining hands across the nation in this kind of uplifting and meaningful and feel-good kind of way... And the movie, I think, really turns that idea on its head in a very fascinating way. And just the fact that it is about summer vacation, there's this very all-American feel to this movie, which I like, and which stirs your nostalgia a little bit, even as it, again, kind of poisons the nostalgia as well. I mean, you see images of Santa Cruz and this Boardwalk Carnival, which plays such an important role in the movie and going to the beach. And like you think, like, if this movie were set on the East Coast, it would have been like Coney Island or something similar. You know, very all-American imagery. I think it's more than just the cool setting. Here's a scenic place to set this movie. I think thematically he's taking on quite a bit. And it is very much this sort of finger that's aimed at at the world, but I think at America in in particular.
0: And we are going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Adopt a Highway is a film about redemption, forgiveness, and coming back to life after a terrible turn of events. It's centered around Russell Millings, an ex-con released from prison after 20 years, who's struggling to connect to a radically changed modern world that he missed out on while he was locked up. Here is Russell, trying to figure out the internet.
5: I see you got a lot of hits, so you're going to have to narrow down your search. Like, uh,
0: you could do his middle
1: name or... Well, you're putting your mom's name, too, I guess? Hey, is is it cool if I take a picture with you real quick? I mean, it's just that... How often is it that you meet someone who's never been online?
0: The film had its world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival, and I spoke in Austin with its star, Ethan Hawke, its writer-director, Logan Marshall Green, and its producer, Jason Blum. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Ethan... In particular, I am shocked and amazed that you're even physically here. You are still appearing on Broadway in Sam Shepard's True West.
6: Hopefully this won't air until after I'm back in New York and (laughs) the theater won't sue me because I don't think I'm contractually allowed to be here. But I am here. We had a matinee yesterday and I flew here because I love this movie. And the three of us had a big adventure together and it would be wrong not to be here. One of the things that brought us all here is Logan's script. Jason had a great experience with Logan on Upgrade and really believed in Logan. And the script was absolutely unique. It has voice. It has a thing that most scripts don't. You rifle through a lot of scripts. It sets itself apart because I haven't seen this movie and I don't know what this movie's up to and I don't know what game it's playing. It has spiritual godfathers and siblings. And, but there's something really original about it. And I was just really happy for you a lot of people haven't made a film. Lots of people want to make, and you wrote and directed a movie, and it works, and it succeeds at what you set out to do, and we're all here to stand up for it, and, and you can't go back from that moment. Yeah. You crossed a strange line.
0: It's not like God loves you best, but, but it's, it's a big deal, you, I, know? Exactly. you know? And Logan, how are you feeling about this moment?
1: There's a lot of like forward thinking, because once you finish your first film, it's like, I get to not make those mistakes again. <laughs> I, yeah, I get yeah. to write a script. I'm writing one right now. I'm finishing one, and I'm writing it thinking a lot about what we did, what we needed, and what we actually didn't need.
6: You don't know what you don't know, right? Mm. And until you do it, you really don't know. Yeah. And this, Sidney Lumet, I got to work with him at 83, right? And I, I'm really proud because I feel like everybody always loves to talk about what the best first film is. But he made a great last film. You know, 83 years old, before the devil knows you're dead. Yes. That movie is like, could have been made by a 25-year-old. I mean, it is so tough. Albert Finney, Phil. You're referring
0: to Philip Seymour Hoffman?
6: And he used to say that this thing that this country is so in love with the talent myth that they don't care about work. And the truth is, nothing is as good a teacher as experience. Yeah. And the reason why he was a good director is he got to do all those live television things. By the time he was making his first film, 12 Angry Men. He had directed so much theater and TV just because they had to was so disposable. You actually go, oh, that music didn't work for that one. Oh, that actor was a great actor, but they're not well cast. Certain mistakes that you
0: can only learn by doing. Let me bring Jason into this conversation.
5: We really don't work with first-time directors, but the exception that we've made is with actors. So with Joel Edgerton on The Gift, with Logan, with Jordan on Get Out. And I really do think... There are a lot of directors who don't relate and don't put nearly enough emphasis on what I think is the most important part of any movie, which is performance. If you don't have that, the suspension of disbelief doesn't happen. So I do think there's a great natural trajectory from acting to directing. That's why we make exception on that. I agree.
6: I'm on the board of a film school, and one thing that drives me crazy is every film school in America teaches cinematography. Every single one of them, and the directors have to do a turn, and none of them teach acting. And it's insane. If you look at the history of cinema, there are a handful of good cinematographers that turned into directors, and there's a ton of actors. You look right. at the top 100 movies of all time, Woody Allen, Orson Welles, Robert Redford, Warren Beatty, Liv Ullman. Women are shortly under change, but women who go on to direct I mean, it's they're the same skill set. Yeah. It's an interpretive art, taking writing and telling a story with it. And they also know how to be comfortable with other actors. It's the only department that a
1: director can't micromanage is the acting department. So <laughs> why
5: would you not need... Jason? No offense to cinematographers, but I always, especially because we do love budget movies, I always say to our less experienced directors, no one cares how the movie looks if the performance isn't good. The performance and the storytelling is much more important than how it looks. But what you can control is how it looks. So what most directors lean towards is I can control how it looks or special effects. You see a director's lost in the special effects, which is why I hate special effects mm. and we don't have special effects. It's like go and go have lunch with your actors because that's who's going to yeah. make your movie, not your special but it, effects. But it's,
6: but it's scary to do that. I hope I don't misspeak, but you know, I've been friends with Kathleen Kennedy for a long time And she said once that one of the disservices of coming up working with Spielberg is she took for granted when she started working with other directors, how good he was with actors. It was so effortless that she didn't see how important staging is and how important moment to moment work is until it wasn't there. Steven was really good at effects. So she thought, directors need to be good at effects
5: amazing, and
6: because the other amazing. stuff just takes care of it takes, itself yeah, right. yeah it takes care of itself if you're really good <laughs> at it <laughs> yeah. you, you know yeah.
0: logan not that many people have had a chance to see adopt a highway yet so maybe you could kind of give sort of a thumbnail sketch of what the movie's about and also a little just of what your inspiration was for writing this particular story
1: Well, the movie's about one man's point of view after re-entry back into society and being in prison for 20 years. Kind of misses the technology age, which is a pretty important 20 years. And so he's lost, and he's looking for purpose, and it's a story about redemption. It's a story about hope, and we don't use any drugs or alcohol, or we don't lean on any of those tropes or, or violence. We lean on actually something I think it's more frightening than anything to me, which is the ability to use our heart and hope. And a lot of that came from my experience with my firstborn daughter and being lost as a father and having these two feelings of absolute fear and absolute love right next to each other and realizing I don't have a handbook, I don't have a maternal connection, but I have one job to keep her alive. And that is something that really carries you as a father, especially when you are looking at a baby. I'm interested in people who are damaged and hurt and are labeled wrong or bad and why we label them. And so the ex-con was kind of where I started to orbit. And there's something soft off with Russell Millings. And I had written it with knowing Ethan's work. And I've always loved Ethan from A to B. But Ethan has this beautiful ability to defer his status in the most subtle and nuanced ways, which in that he has many other approaches to character, but that's one that I've always admired about him. And especially early on in your career, I loved that beta that you were able to show. And and then you see his alpha, and it's just, it was a no-brainer. So we shot for the moon, and here we are.
0: And Jason, this is really just a straightforward drama. It is not the kind of genre picture that Blumhouse is known for. Is this a direction that you see yourself moving in as a producer? How was it that you came to make a movie like this?
5: It's not a direction I see ourselves moving in. In TV, it is. TV, about 80% of what we do is not horror, 20% is horror. Movies, it's the opposite. 80% is horror, 20% is not horror. One of my personal goals in running Blumhouse is making it a powerful, independent organization that every so often, if we see something we love, we get behind it and do it. And that was the impetus for this. This script, like Ethan said, it was a magical script. We all read so many scripts. And this, this script, it touched me and it touched everyone at the company. And so we wanted to lend the weight of the company into getting the movie made. I think I said, what about Ethan? And you said, that's who I thought about the whole time. When we was- were out to Ethan. Actually, one of my favorite moments is I'm sitting in
1: the meeting with Jason, I'm like, well, we're out to Ethan. I've been a fan of Ethan since early 90s, the theater he was doing, and I was this young kid out of NYU. And I think there was a moment where Jason looked at me just like, you idiot. I was the artistic director. I, I of that ran, that was company, company yeah. Malaparte. Yeah. And I mean, it was just like, well, come on. Let's, Let's I implore you,
5: Let's make this movie. We do a, a lot of shows and a lot of movies, and to have a partnership with an actor who is going through the process, seeing a totally different side that I never get to see. So when Ethan was producing this also, it's just, it's like a thousand pounds of stress comes Mm. off my shoulders.
6: There's a line in True West, is a play that I'm doing, which is, you know, it says, you never get to know a producer. If you're an artist, you're always looking for somebody to facilitate your dreams. And of course you don't get to know them because it's a transactional relationship. And both one is worried the other one's going to screw the other one. Even though you're on the same team, there's this invisible fence. Are you going to turn this into like your art piece that's going to lose me $10 million and achieve your dreams? Or are you going to find a middle ground? And the artist is feeling like, are you going to sabotage me? Are you going to sabotage me? Is it too good to be true? Is it too good to be true? Because of Jason and his friendship over the years, I've really gotten to understand where he and other producers are coming from. We have multi-tiered taste, meaning we like anything that's good, anything that's good. And I really think it was Logan that united for this. You knew it could very easily not get made because it doesn't fit into one category. And if somebody like Jason didn't champion it, it wasn't going to get made. And then I felt, well, if Jason is going to champion it, then it has a chance. And here we are at South by.
0: Logan, at the end of the film, there's a dedication that says to anyone who's ever made a mistake. (laughs) and where does that come from, and what what does that mean?
1: Oh, it was about a month ago. We had finished the mix, and we were done. And I had my bag on, and I had walked out to the car, and we had just done a couple of extra little things in the credits, and I I actually don't know where it came from. I just ran back in. I was like, can I add something? And it just felt all-inclusive, because it's a human story. I've made a lot of mistakes, so maybe it was my way of, like, Dedicating it to myself, if no one else, if everybody else is perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's a
6: really beautiful, I didn't know that you did that. And it's, Me neither. It's it got really, the biggest applause of the great. night last it night. It's, great. It's, it's really beautiful, Logan, because, you know, there's a weird thing that's happening in society right now. And I think some of it's brought up by an administration that seems to feed on hate. And then other people who support that, trying to defend that position. There is a great deal of shaming you're bad, no, you're bad, no, they're there. And whether it's one of the elements of getting, striving for sexual equality in the workplace has been involved a great deal of shaming of men. A lot of it's really appropriate, but it does create a culture of fear. And it's not where the place of forgiveness and where the place of, how we're all supposed to learn together. And if we can't learn about racism or sexism, or that, then we're all just going to go to our corners and trench in. And the ability to say, hey, I made a mistake. Can I be forgiven? Do you know? Will you give me? I mean, we're all not born perfect. We're just not, and we're going to screw up. And Milling screws up, and one of the things that's so, it was such an interesting character for me to imagine. The movie centers around this old Clinton deal of three strikes, you're out. And I spend 20 years in prison for a nonviolent crime. And I miss, my parents die, and I miss cell phones and the internet, and I come out to a world I don't recognize. And I can't function and end to make it worse. Those 20 years, something happened. You don't come out and still be 24. Something happened to him in prison. You know, those years take a toll. And so how does he forgive himself? Can society forgive him? Obviously, this is a situation that's much more common in a minority situation. That, But this Millings guy finds himself a total fish out of water. And that's a beautiful dedication, Logan. I'm so glad you did that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me yeah. too.
1: Yeah, I think we're always able to forgive our winners. I always find that interesting. You know, Tiger Woods gets back on that leaderboard. We're watching. Well, we want to. But for me, the problem with the penal system is we're not letting them become winners anymore. Yeah. We're stamping them as losers. And we're not giving anybody a chance anymore to shine in our eyes. And I think you're absolutely right. I think we're just so polarized and we're so armed and defensive and,
5: and we're holding weapons and it's us versus them. I have a thing with my daughter, which we exchange that my daughter's almost four. We talk about it every day because I make mistakes every day. And I say to my daughter, how many mistakes does data make a day? And she says, a <laughs> hundred. <Yeah. laughs> we actually have that conversation right? every day. Data, data makes a hundred mistakes mistake a day. Jar. Yeah. Start filling the <laughs> mistake jar and be full in a minute. And love
6: and fear, what you just said. I mean, that's the thing. Millings, in the movie, the, one of the major plot events is he finds a baby, right? He's got no love in his life and he finds an abandoned child. And he's faced with this immense feeling of wanting to care for another human being. And being absolutely petrified of failing it and being actually petrified that he shouldn't be doing it even and that he's the wrong person for it. And in this situation, he's kind of right. He is the wrong person. But it's it's a very interesting dilemma that is very beautiful. And it just kind of puts its fist right in your solar plexus.
0: Playing here is the clip of the scene in Adopt-A-Highway when you find the baby. Well, it's something I found so compelling in the movie and is that over the course of what he's going through, and I think especially from finding the baby, it's like a switch gets turned on in him, and you literally see him sort of come back to life in a way, from the sort of really like turned inward person that he was from his life in prison to feeling like there is life for him and there can be love for him. And was that something that you were interested in exploring, Logan?
1: A hundred percent. Purpose.
0: That's the movie.
1: Purpose what you just said. and, And by the way, there's no age limit for purpose, for fate. For, for when life you, when a human being gets turned on yes for, for you know? exactly and so that was absolutely the intent. and then there's this
6: other beautiful moment in the like two-thirds mark that' is, I find very surprising and fascinating, which is that light gets turned on he's holding this child and then what happens if well I don't want to give the story away, but that light gets challenged and does the light go out or does the light keep burning? right right and that's that's what the story is like once it's on, can it stay on? Right. And how do you make it stay on beyond? That's the thing about having a child, right? Is it, it's the first thing that opens your eyes to compassion. You start seeing like, oh, it does occur to you, right? As a dad, you're like, oh, but then daily life beats us up. and, beats, and are, are, is, is that awareness going to stay on or is it going to go out? Is the punishment of daily living going to put that light out?
5: The incredible thing about the opening or the first, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of the movie is because of how you wrote it and how your and Ethan's performance is how this man, he's just been broken. So he's been so under someone else's control in every possible way. And he's submissive to the air around mm. him. He's submissive to everything. It's heartbreaking. But seeing it turn around with the baby. But that's part of it is the low is so low. 20 years in prison and what it's done to this person. It's actually just horrifying.
0: And what was it like for you to see this character come to life, in particular through Ethan's performance? Like, is he bringing things that maybe you weren't even thinking of, or like that you kind of didn't realize about the character?
6: Ethan really kind of bought into what was on the page, but... It was so fully conceived. You You compare it to Tender Mercies or something, if you want to compare it, where Tender Mercies is at its core, extremely simple movie. Yep. But the portrait that Duvall plays in that... Horton Foote wrote, and it's Beresford Directs. It's so it's so fully realized. That's the goal. You have to buy in. I had to buy into what Logan was selling. Mm. And then you try to fully inhabit it.
1: But, but in the end, it's just a silhouette to begin with. Ethan, last night at the screening, it being our first time seeing it, the greatest part of it was watching people understand and accumulate his isms and react to these small, tiny things that Ethan was doing that were not written, but that were just inhabited. And there were Russell Millingisms, and it's so much about performance and what Ethan brought. Like Ethan said, it's,
0: it's our tender mercy. It's, it's, it's a simple, short story. It's a slice of life. And Jason, what has it been like for you, just as a friend of Ethan's, to watch him mature as an actor that I think he's in a really phenomenal place with the performances he's been giving recently? What is it like for you to see like a friend develop like that?
5: makes me really proud and I've watched Ethan wrestle with art and commerce and I feel like he won the wrestling match I don't know about f- 5 or 6 years ago I feel <laughs> like we I actually have we have a really vivid memory of this I was in London we were on the phone and it was when the movie feature market where we didn't know what was going to happen to movies And Ethan was considering doing this TV show. And I remember so specifically, he's like, you know what, screw it. I'm not going to do this show. I don't care what happens to movies. I got to follow my heart. I got to do what I want to do. And I think it was a pivotal moment when you just kind of said, if movies disappear, they're going to disappear, but I'm going to do my thing. I mean, his career is amazing, but I do think he's never been more compelling as an overall artist, not just as an actor in his whole life, which is pretty cool. Everyone says your 50s are the best decade. (laughs) Maybe so, I hope so. Maybe (laughs) so.
6: I have a funny memory, just as you say that, of when I was younger, when I was first in L.A. Obviously, I didn't get the part, but I was auditioning for a Warren Beatty movie. But I remember him saying to me about how fads come in and out. Styles will become prevalent and then not prevalent, and then prevalent and not prevalent. If you live long enough, you'll see them go in waves. And the trick is to be really true to what you want to put forward. Because if
0: you wait long enough, it'll be back in style. And with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Gentlemen, thank you to all of you for for being here. The movies adopt a highway, Logan Marshall Green, Jason Blum, Ethan Hawke. Thank you. Thanks for thank having you. me. Thank you. For LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. This week's episode has been produced by Katie Cooper, recorded by Ryan Katz and Audrey McGlinchey and Mike Heflin, and edited by Mike Heflin. Thanks for listening.